Listen, so we are in part two of our um, series on the book of Revelation. And I think there was a little miscommunication last week. I said that we were going to go for like, I think it's five weeks. And then um, we'll get into our Easter series uh, leading up to our Easter service. Um, and then what I said was, later on after that, we'll pick it back up. So we're not finishing this series in five weeks. This is going to be, like, like right now, we're, we are going to look at the, the letters that Jesus wrote to seven churches. This is probably going to be seven sermons right here. There might be a couple I can combine, but, but I think we're going we're gonna to look at all of these. Um, because originally, um, I was going to do a, a series titled, Which Church Are You?, and we were just going to look at these letters. But then, kind of, as I'm kind of in prayer about stuff, I, I thought we'll, we'll do the entire series. So it'll be broken up a little bit, but we're going to get through the entire book of Revelation. Um, for instance, last week we started, we did what was called an introduction, and we looked at who the author was, the disciple John of the book of Revelation, and we looked at the description of Jesus and who Jesus is according to chapter 1 in the book of Revelation. And, and then... Chapters 2 and 3 is where we're going to be at probably for the next seven sermons, counting today, because these are letters, these are messages that Jesus told John to write down, deliver these letters, deliver these messages to these seven churches. That's chapters 2 and 3. And then chapter 4 is all about worship, worship in heaven. So we'll look at that, and then we'll, we'll dive into some other things. And one of the things about Revelation is it's very symbolic. There's a lot of stuff in there that might not make sense. But John was told to write down everything you see and hear. So these are things that he saw, literally saw, that Jesus wanted him to see. And even though it's, there's some symbolism in there, I believe we are going to look at the literal meaning behind the symbolism. So as long as we keep things literally, we're going to be in good shape. Amen? All right, so... So in this section of the book, we're looking at the letters or the messages. I, I teach from the New Living Translation, and, and, and it titles these messages. These are letters that Jesus had John write to seven different churches at the time. And these are things that he wants to address with each church. Now, each letter starts out with, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Today, we're looking at Ephesus. He says, to the angel of the church of Pergamum, to the angel of the church of Smyrna. So... The angel, angel means messenger, and the messenger is the pastor of the church, the one who is bringing the message of God to the church. So, so he is referring to the pastors as an angel. Now, we don't want to get weird and say that pastors are angels because we are not. <laughs> We're not angels, you know. But for some reason, that's how Jesus addresses them in these letters. Now, Here's, 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 here's the thing, though. These are letters from Jesus written directly to the pastor. So that's the part that I take pretty serious, okay? And each letter starts out with a description of Jesus from what we saw in chapter 1. And each description that he uses to address that church is, is a description that he's using, using to address a particular situation. And so, well, we'll get into that in a minute. So these seven churches, all right, they were all within about 40 to 50 miles of each other, and they were, they were, they were kind of in this arc in the, the land that they referred to at the time as Asia Minor. We would know it now as the country of Turkey. 
And, and it was a heavily traveled road through Asia Minor, through the country of Turkey, where these churches had been established, that Paul established these churches. And, and these letters were written for the churches at the current time. Okay? However, they also represent the conditions of churches and people that we often find ourselves in. So if I'm a pastor and I'm like wondering about, you know, the church and where we're at, my church and whatever, and I'm reading one of these letters and it starts jumping out of the pages and into my spirit like, whoa, this is you, buddy. This is the church you're leading right now. Then I better take heed to that because that's God's Holy Spirit saying, here, listen, read this. You know, there is some correction in here. Jesus, he, 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 sometimes when he, when he, when Jesus corrects, he always gives you the correction. All right? So he's a loving father. God is a loving father. And when he brings correction, he always tells you how to get it figured out. All right? So, or people. Maybe you're reading this and you're like, whoa, this, the description of this church really sounds like me right now. Well, maybe God is trying to tell you something. Right? So maybe you ought to take heed of that. So, um, yeah, so let's just get started. Like I said, originally I was going to do a series called Which Church Are You? But we're just we're looking at the whole thing. So let's jump right into it. Revelation chapter, uh, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. And we're just going to read the first verse. And also, I'm talking a little faster than I normally would because I want to make sure we get all this content in. And we're not here later than we need to be because there's a big game tonight. Right? So, all right. Here we go. The message to the church in Ephesus. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. We saw that as a part of the description of Jesus in chapter 1. So Jesus is the one. He says this is a message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and walks among the seven lampstands. Those stars in his hand are the pastors of each church he wants to address. He holds the pastors in his right hand. He doesn't, he's not holding them like this. He's holding them like this. Like he's a loving father. He's holding the pastors. And they represent stars to him. Okay? And then the one who walks among the gold lampstands. These were like menorahs, like Jewish candles. Those golden lampstands, they represent the churches. And so it's like this Jesus has the pastor in his hand and he walks through the church. That's where he is today. And what he's doing right now is an inspection of the church. You know, we have a fire marshal that comes through here periodically. We never know when he's going to show up. He just calls, and usually after his phone call, he walks through the front door because <laughs> he's smart. And so are we because we're ready for him. <laughs> but the fire marshal comes in, and he does an inspection of the building, right? We have our preschool. They have a state inspection, and, and Kristen never knows when they're going to show up. But they're going to do an inspection, and you better be ready. And that's what Jesus is doing here with these churches. And he does this with churches periodically. I can tell you this. I know this. But he's doing an inspection of the state of the church. And again, he does this to this very day. He walks among the church. And he inspects the church. He inspects the pastor. He inspects the leadership. He inspects what's happening in the church. 
the spirit realm, the part that nobody really knows, the things nobody knows what's happening, Jesus knows. And the fact that he addresses the church in Ephesus as the one who holds the seven stars and walks among the seven lampstands, right? This indicates the power and the authority that Jesus has over the churches and their leaders, because Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head of the body of Christ. We right here represent a small little portion of the body of Christ. All of us here in this church have things to do. Some of us are fingers, some are hands, some are arms, some are legs, some are feet, some are ears. We all make up the entire body. And then, I believe, churches together make up the body of Christ within a city. We have what's called the RMA, Reynoldsburg Ministerial Association where pastors of different churches in the city meet together. Pastor Dave goes to these meetings. I go to these meetings, and we talk about what's happening in our city. How can we fix things? How can we be a part of this? How can we make sure that we're, that we're working with the city officials so that they know that the churches are here for whatever they need? The Vineyard Association is like that. We, re we represent a body of Christ within an association of churches. This, it starts within a church, and it works its way out until it's worldwide, and we are all part of the body of Christ. And Jesus is the head of that. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us this. Now he, Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Jesus. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. This is beneficial for us. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Christ fills all things everywhere. You ever take like water and, 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 and okay, you ever have like a big bowl and put object, objects in there and you've got little air pockets and this and that and the other, but then you pour water in there and everything is full of the water. That's like Jesus. He fills every nook and cranny everywhere because that's who he is. Now, Colossians kind of backs this up. Jesus, he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Nothing's falling apart. You, get, you, you hear about asteroids coming towards the earth. No, he holds it all together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Jesus. And then a verse that I've been dialing in on lately for the past six months, Hebrews chapter 4. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. And now he's addressing some issues that he wants to talk to the churches about. This is who is writing these letters. And these verses that we just looked at, these passages tell us that Jesus knows everything that is taking place within the church. In his church, he walks among them. He walks among us. And the thing is, he's not a ruler that lords things over us. He is a loving father that has compassion for his body. But he doesn't put up with things. Everything is eventually brought to the light. 
Like, I'm a firm believer that, like, if somebody meets with me and they say, hey, you know, can I meet with you? I got this stuff going on. I'm, you know, whatever. I'm just, I'm dealing with things. I'm struggling in this area of my life, you know, like a personal issue that nobody else really knows about. And here's what I always say to them. Listen, you know what? We just met. There's usually a coffee table in front of us in my office. And I say, listen, we just put what you're dealing with in the light. And now it cannot survive. Because I will be praying for you. We'll be praying together. And what was once in the dark is now in the light, and it will no longer survive. Amen? So Jesus is addressing these churches because he cares for them. He cares for our church in the same way. He wanted them, and he wants us to reach our greatest potential. Because who gets the glory when we do? Jesus, the kingdom of God, the church as, as a whole, and then this church, Vineyard Community Church, each one of us is working together, each one of us working together is who Jesus will use to shine his light in a dark world so that the world can be changed so that the, the kingdom of God will be revealed to people who have never experienced it before. And the light will come on in their lives. And their lives will change. We are the ones who are to bring that to the world. So, we must take our faith and our role as a believer serious. Because Jesus does. Jesus takes it serious. That's where the Apostle Paul said in a passage, I work out my faith with fear and trembling. Not because he was afraid of God and he was constantly shaking in fear. It was because he wanted to, he knew how serious his role was. And he wanted to make sure that he did the right thing according to what his Savior had for him to do. Now, the church in Ephesus, now these are, these are, these are, these are my words. They're, most of everything that we, that, that we hear here, I've, I've, I've gotten out of some books and some studies, and I've got my study Bible open, and it's that really tiny, fine print, and I need glasses for driving, but I've, I've got, the bifocals are, they're on their way. <laughs> they're coming. They are coming. But th these are my words here. So the church in Ephesus, by today's standards, might be considered like a mega church because it because a mega church that had some powerhouse pastors so the church in ephesus was was founded was 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 created at about 52 a.d yeah 52 a.d then that's that's 52 years after jesus ascended into heaven that's not really very long okay and then what we'll see here is Paul, the Apostle Paul, did some street preaching in Ephesus for two years before the church was founded. 52 AD is when Paul founded this church. And then 13 years later, at around 65 AD, his protege, Timothy, a young man, began pastoring the church. And then it is written, historically, it is thought that the disciple John pastored the church after Timothy. Just some some pretty big hitters, right? The Apostle Paul, who taught Timothy, and then the disciple John comes in. And you know what? When you read uh, the book of Ephesians, and then you read First and Second Timothy, and then you read John. So then John wrote the Gospel of John, and then he's got some smaller letters, First, Second, and Third John, and then he wrote Revelation. So these guys knew their stuff. But when you, we're, we're going to quote a lot from First John. 
when you read some of these writings and then you hear about what some of the stuff was happening in Ephesus, you, you kind of get an idea of, I think they wrote these letters either from Ephesus or out of their experience in Ephesus. So, so that, that talks about a, a little bit of, of, of the founding part of the church here. And then the church was known for its evangelism, for its witness of the gospel of Jesus. That's what they were known for. And the book of Acts, chapter 19, is dedicated. If you want to read about some of the stuff that they had to go through, read the book of Acts, chapter 19. Because what you'll see is, is well, here, let's just, we're going to read, I'll, I got it quoted here. So, so here's just verse 10, all right? Paul held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years. So he was at this lecture hall preaching before the church was founded. So that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Now, Acts chapter 19 is a, is a pretty intense chapter to read because what was happening was, so, so the church in, in Ephesus was known for, at the time, was one of the seventh wonders of the world for this Greek goddess named Artemis or Diana. And there was a temple there for this Greek goddess. And there were craftsmen who would make idols and little statues and gods and, and, and things for people to bow down to and to worship. And they made little trinkets and souvenirs for when people came in to visit. Ephesus was like a, it was a major hub for trade. There was a lot of people coming and going. It was like our New York City today. It's a big city. Had a major, major pagan temple to this goddess, Artemis. And, and this one guy, I think his name is mentioned in Acts chapter 19. He gets all bent out of shape because Christianity is, 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 is growing and cult activity is dwindling. And so is his business. And so he gets his other craftsmen together, and they, they created a riot in Ephesus over this. And it, was, it wasn't just a, a little skirmish. It was a big deal. There was a lot of spiritual warfare happening. And when you read Ephesians, like chapter 6, that's where, you know, for it's not flesh and blood that we fight, it's, it's, it's powers and principles and authorities in the heavenly realms. And then Paul talks about the spiritual armor that we wear. It's a no wonder. They were constantly fighting uh, uh, demonic activity. So let's just read a little bit more in Ephesians, uh, Revelation chapter 2. That's our introduction. Jesus says, here, I'm the one. This is, this is he who brings you this letter. So we're going to read uh, verses 2 and 3. This is what Jesus says. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. So Jesus is doing an inspection of the church. And he starts out by saying, I, I know you. I know the hard work you do. I know how well you've been fighting against false teachings and liars, people who are bringing lies into the church. I know what you've been doing. The church had worked hard to stand strong in the face of adversity and Jesus wants them to know I see that I see that they've been working hard to share the gospel of Jesus in a city that was filled with idol worship 
In the New King James, he says, I know your works, your labor. In the New Living Translation, he says, I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. In the Greek translation, that means to the point of exhaustion. You guys just aren't showing up on Sundays and saying, hey, these guys are doing false teachings and, and you know what, we should go out there and preach the gospel on Monday morning and you know, whatever. These guys were, the church was working hard to the point of exhaustion to preach the gospel, to get Jesus into a city that is filled with pagan worship. Jesus says, I see that. Here's the thing. Church is hard work. It's hard to lead a church. It's hard to be a leader in a church. It's hard to lead a life group. It's hard to constantly maintain a level of integrity and character when you're a leader in the church because people are people. And you know what? How many of you life group leaders have had somebody come into your group and you get this, this little thought like, I don't think there's something about this person. And then you later find out that they weren't a good fit for your group because they weren't for you or your group. I, I remember one time, one time we had somebody come into our life group and, and Kim had this like demonic just picture in her head of this person. And Kim says, you know, there's something up with that person. And I'm just like, hey, glad you're joining our group. You know, this is what we're doing today. You know, I want to grow the grow the life group and get another person in here. And Kim's getting these, these pictures in her head of this person. And afterwards, and I'm like, really? Are you sure? Because they sounded pretty like they knew their Bible. And she's like, I don't know. And turns to find out this person was not. This person is what, is what Jesus would say, a liar. I remember one time years ago, we started, so, so we had our kids, you know, our kids are a year apart, so, so, you know, two years, Kim was pregnant for two years, with two kids, one after the other. <laughs> so we took a little break from life group leading, right? And then so, so after two years, like, you know what, I think it'd be a good idea to start our life group back up and let's do it on spiritual warfare. What a dumb idea. <laughs> because, you know, we, we kicked off our life group, we're promoting it, Chip and Kim got a new group, we do spiritual warfare, and the first person who walks in, I get this check in my spirit. Man, this guy was, a, he was, he was not for the church. And I'm just like, oh, and, 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 and then he started arguing with other people, and there was another person in there that would team up with him, and you know, it was crazy stuff. Some of you are in our life group, you know what I'm talking about this time. It was nuts for a minute there. It was spiritual warfare. See, leading a church, being a leader in the church, you know what? It's the most rewarding thing ever in life. But it's not easy. <laughs> you got to be on your game. You have to be able to recognize things. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I see you guys are working hard at this. You know, you're not just coming to church on Sunday morning and praising me and going home and doing your own thing. You, to the point of exhaustion, I see what you're doing. So we have, all of us, have things to do for Jesus. And he expects us to do them. And he knows we're going to face opposition. That's why he holds pastors in his right hand. 
He's got us right there in his hand. And, and, and if, we're, if we're doing a job right, the leaders are doing their jobs, all of us, we're clicking, things are going well. But there's always going to be opposition. But you see, church, here's the thing, too. Jesus is among us. He notices everything. He holds the pastors in his right hand, and he is standing among the church members as we persevere to do the work that the church is called to do. All of us are in this together. That's another reason why I want to reinstate membership, because I want to, you know what? I just want to know who's here and who's ready to do some work. Let's do this. Listen, there's a revival happening. Something's happening. There's a lot of other churches and groups doing a, a, a series on Revelation. Something is happening. We can see the world is changing, right? People have been saying the end is near for a long time, and it's probably not right around the corner. But, you know, each day we do get one day closer. So there is that. But you see it. People are more inward focused and they care more about themselves than they do anybody else around them. It's, it's, it's a reality that we have to face. And so, church, it takes the followers of Jesus to help shine the light into a dark world. So Ephesus was known for its cult activity, right? This pagan temple. And here's the deal. In, in one of my Vineyard Institute classes, theology classes, uh, it really kind of, uh, uh, kind of dissected what temple worship was about. It's not, I don't really want to talk to you guys about it here at the church setting, but there was a lot of sexual immorality that took place within the temples, prostitution. It was, it was just to appease these gods. And I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm watching this, and I'm just like, oh, gosh, man, this is just too much for my brain to handle. But it's what was happening at the time. Some of this stuff you think, I don't think we could get any immoral. Well, this stuff's been going on since the beginning of time, church. Just times have changed. So Ephesus was known for this. And the church in Ephesus, here's the deal. They stood strong in the face of adversity for the gospel of Jesus. And so what does that look like? Well, Paul addresses the Galatians. And he said this to them. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. I mean, there it is right there. So... Let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Does anybody ever feel like, why do I keep trying to do good because it doesn't do any good? Paul tells us, the Bible tells us, don't give up. Don't give up. Your harvest is coming. Your blessing is coming. Keep pushing forward. And that's what the church in Ephesus was doing. When we're facing adversity, when we're facing opposition for our faith, or we find ourselves in spiritual battles and spiritual warfare because of our faith, our integrity, our character, this is the passage that we want to hold on to. Because the Bible is telling us, don't give up. Don't give up. What you're seeing is what's happening. Don't give up. The Ephesians also, also had to determine who the false teachers were and stand against them as well. Right? Jesus says, 
You have examined the claims of those who say they are, they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. It's a pretty heavy, heavy words, right? Coming from Jesus. Well, 1 John chapter 4 says this. Remember, John was a pastor at this church. He writes, Do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. I wonder where John got that from. I wonder, I wonder if he had a little experience in Ephesus. So the church in Ephesus worked hard to grow the church and build the kingdom. They stood strong in the face of adversity. They recognized false teachers when they arrived, like they came into their church, and they stood strong against them. And they patiently suffered for Jesus without giving up. However, there's a little more to this letter. Verses 4 through 6. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Well, let's look at that. Like, you stood strong. Like, okay, Jesus is addressing this, this letter, right? You stood strong in the face of adversity. You're doing good. I see your hard work. Yeah, we did. We did. But I have this against you. Oof. Jesus. What is happening here? It's something that I was reading in my studies in this is that we have a second generation of believers that are now in the church. The church has been established for quite some time, and there's a second generation of believers coming up, and they have lost their zeal for evangelism. They have lost that love and that connection for each other that was once there when the church started. They have lost their witness and their influence in the city that they once had for Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you don't get this back, I will remove your influence for me in the world. I will remove you as one of the lampstands. In other words, what some people say is they, they had become inward focused and not outward focused anymore. They were no longer preaching the gospel out in the streets. They were just coming to church and they were enjoying each other's company, but maybe not as much as they used to, and then they were going home. Their zeal for Jesus was waning. Now, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us to be careful of this. Listen to this. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. We must never forget that zeal and that love and that fire that was burning in us when we first came to Jesus. Right? Never forget that. We always, we need to remember that. Never lose sight of Jesus. Never let our love for the gospel die. Because Jesus said he would remove the church from Ephesus, from, the, from its place, if they did not get things turned around. I'll remove you. He would remove their influence for them. I'll find somebody else. That's what he's saying. How would you like Jesus to say that to you? Hey, hey look, Chip. You're doing really good. You started out great, but if you, if you keep this up, I'm, I'm going to look for somebody else. 
I, I can't use you if you're going to continue down this path. Imagine him saying that to you. However, they had one thing going for them. They stood for strong, sound biblical doctrine. They hated the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as Jesus did. What does that mean? Well, you know what? Two weeks from today, we'll dive a little bit deeper in that because the Nicolaitans were also involved in the church in Pergamum. He addresses them as well. The Nicolaitans were a group of false prophets who had, who had believed that it was okay to eat food sacrificed to idols and, and all this stuff. They, 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 they followed the doctrines of Balaam and Balak from the Old Testament, which we'll get into that later. But Paul addressed this too in one of his letters. He said, it, it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols. It's just food. You can eat it. However, if it causes a brother or sister to stumble, like, like they don't understand, hey, we shouldn't be doing this, then you ought not do it. But these guys are saying anything goes, especially sexual immorality. is another thing that the Nicolaitans were okay with. Now, Paul does address this too in one of the Corinthians. He says that the sexual sins are the worst of all because they are a sin against our own body. And the Nicolaitans were like, hey, anything goes, it's fine. Well, anything does not go. But the Ephesians stood strong against that. And Jesus said, that's the one thing you've got going for you. You're not giving in to this. So there's that. See, here's the thing. Jesus, first of all, he's commending them for everything they've done. And then condemning is a, kind of a strong word, but that's what it is. It's, it's a condemning letter like, hey, you, you're, you're, you're slipping here. You're messing up. But Jesus will never bring a, a corrective message to us without telling us how to fix it. And that's what he does. You return to your first love. He offers the solution. The first step was to remember their original zeal for the gospel. Remember how you first loved me. Remember how you first loved each other. Rekindle that flame. Get that going again. You know, some of us in this room might need to rekindle that flame. Like, has your flame for Jesus, your fire for Jesus, kind of turned to a, maybe an ember or a coal? Like, are there times when you know you should be sharing your faith with somebody, but you don't? Are there times when you know what the right thing to do is, but you don't? This is a call. This is a, this is a letter that's written to this church at the time, but it's also, it transcends time as well. It's written to us. And the second step in the process is to repent. Get things turned around. You're heading in this direction. Turn it around. Just turn it around. Turn back to me is what Jesus was saying. 1 John chapter 5 says this. Now, in John's letters, the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he addresses people as children. Now, I'm inclined to think that maybe he's getting a little up there in age. He wrote Revelation when he was about 100. So, but maybe that was John's... Um, like, like a term of endearment. You know, he, he called his church children. Like, listen, children. He just, it was, it was I, I look at it as like a, like a father talking to his children. But John says this, we know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Tithing is not burdensome. It frees us. Loving one another is 
not burdensome. It might be difficult. <laughs> if you look past that outer exterior, sometimes it rubs you the wrong way, and you, you look in the person's heart. We can love one another the same way Jesus loves us. God's commandments, the things in the Bible, are not burdensome. You know, if we just kept the first 10 commandments, we'd have a perfect society. And there's only 10 of them. And then uh, later on in, in 1 John chapter 5, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. What is it, church, that might be taking God's place in your heart? What are, you, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you doing? What are your hobbies? What might be replacing that time that you once used to spend with God? The Bible says keep away from Make sure that you leave room for God. And then verse 7, the final verse in the letter, in the message. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. That's the end of the letter. To everyone who is victorious. In the New King James, it says, to he who overcomes. When you stand strong in the face of adversity, when you're victorious in your walk with Christ, when you overcome the things that would normally drag you down, Jesus says, you will be given fruit from the tree of life. You know, later on in Revelation, it talks about these, these rivers in heaven and how there's trees along each river. And, and I believe there's like 12 different fruits on each tree. I could be wrong, but maybe that's just my imagination. Well, I'm not like a big fruit guy. I'm, I'm, I mean, I eat kind of healthy in front of people. <laughs> but you know what I imagine this fruit like? Maybe like 37, 38 degrees. Juicy, you know? Not, not crunchy like an apple, but kind of like a pear. Soft, like a watermelon. That's what I envision the fruit in heaven to be like. When you overcome... When, when you find yourself maybe, maybe waning in your faith with Jesus and you're over here and you listen to a message like this or you read this and you're like, whoa, i got to get turn things around. You are overcoming the things of the world and the things where the enemy wants you to be and you're rekindling that flame with Jesus. You are the one who Jesus will say, here's a piece of fruit. It's the best fruit ever. You ever have somebody say, you got to try this. It's the best ever. It's the best when we go to Brazil in the Amazon, that's the best fruit. It's right off of the tree, and it is the best. It hasn't been sprayed with anything or sitting in a market for months. You know, our apples are like, what, months old before we get to eat them? It's the best. We eat watermelon down there. It's just dripping down your hands, drinking coconuts. If it's better than that, I want a piece of it. <laughs> you know? This... This verse right here, verse 7, is a promise to all of those who persevere and stand strong in the face of adversity without, while not falling away from their original love and walking out the plans that Jesus has for them. 
Because Jesus knows it isn't easy. Jesus knows there are going to be false teachers that come into your life. Jesus knows there are going to be people that come into your life that don't have your best interest in mind. Jesus knows that church is hard work, that being a follower of Jesus is not always easy because you always have to do the right thing. You always have to rise above. You can't get caught up in what everybody else is doing around you. You have to be the influence, not be influenced. And Jesus says, when you live a life like this, you will be given. He doesn't, you will be given fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Isn't that exciting? In 1 John chapter 5, verse 5 says this, and who can win this battle against the world? Who's going to win this battle? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Amen. Only those who believe Jesus is the Son of God. You will persevere. I, I believe this, church. I believe this. I believe that each church has a specific calling that is combined with works to do that shares the love of Jesus for all people and ushers in the kingdom of God where it has never been experienced. I believe that with all my heart. Each church, I believe Pastor Dave founded this church and, and, and God put things on his heart. And, and I believe one of the visions of this church is we are big in humanitarian aid. We are, we are big in making sure that people's needs are met. Like, we're not, mission trips are good, right? But when you go on a mission trip and you're just preaching from the streets and, you know, you're enjoying food and you're just preaching, it's kind of like a vacation. We like to get nitty-gritty dirty. We like to make sure the gospel is being preached and humanitarian aids are being met. I believe that's a calling on this church. That's why we have our clinics, free medical Free vision, free legal aid, free computer re repair, free bicycle repair, free bicycles if we got them. Because there's a need in the community, and the community knows that they can come to this church to get the help they need. And we have people in this church that understand that calling. We support three foreign missions. Vietnam, Brazil, Haiti. We also have Dr. Dave's Luke's Brigade, which is medical kits and medical training that go all around the world. That is meeting a humanitarian need while sharing the love of God with people. We have events that we do that are community outreach events. We have our Easter event and our family Halloween party. We turn Halloween into a family event. We, I'll never forget, years ago we had a lady come in here, family Halloween. We've got, I know not everybody's into that. We've got little spiders and bats on the walls. I, I get it. We, we all have convictions and certain lines we don't want to cross but there was a lady here who felt the presence of God in such a tangible way that she joined our church and her children grew up in this church and she became really involved in this church then she moved <laughs> but she was dedicated and she said I was here that night and I felt God and that's why we have our community festival where people that, 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 that you know, it's like, like a big farmer's market. We have bands. It's for the community. It's so, you know what my prayer is? So that somebody can sense the presence of God while they're here on this property. That's why we do that, church. We do this so that people in a dark world can experience the kingdom of God. It's not meant for us to come in here and, 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 and worship God and sing these songs and praise and everything else and then it doesn't leave the building. 
And that's what I think was happening in Ephesus. And then, you know what else? We are also a little inward focused because we are good at keeping each other sharp. Our small groups, that's where you form real life friendships within the kingdom of God. Our men's breakfast, our women's breakfast, our women's cookie, a Christmas party. Those are church events where you can invite a friend, but it's for us. Because we need that time with each other where we, can, we don't have to be on, so to speak. We just relax and get to know somebody. And you know what? I do a lot of prep for a sermon, right? Like I, I get up on Sunday morning and I ask God, what do you want me to talk about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I put a lot of prep in sermons, right? I, I love doing this, but do you know what I love even more? Ministry time. Because that's not prepped. That's not thought out. That is when I come down here, we are worshiping God, and the Holy Spirit wants to address things with you guys, and I get to be a part of that. And that's what fires me up the most. That's what tells me God is moving. God is moving, church. So we need to keep that fire in our love for Jesus and for each other alive. So in closing, 1 John chapter 3 says this, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. That's a pretty, that's a heavy, right? So here's the deal. We must never lose sight of why we put our trust in Jesus. Never forget that, church. We must never allow that initial excitement of a changed life that is on fire for Jesus turn into a smoldering ember. Fan that flame. What do you got to do? Join a life group. Ask to be a life group leader. Ask to do something in the church. If you feel like your ember, your, your fire is an ember, do something about it. Talk to somebody, a leader in your church. Talk to me. Talk to Kim. Talk to Thomas. Thomas will get you plugged in before anybody will because he is passionate about that. I promise you. Talk to somebody. I want to be a part of something here at the church because that will tell Jesus, I want to get this turned around. We must love others in the same manner we love Jesus. You ready for this? Our relationship with Jesus is a reflection of our relationship with others. If, if, if you can't get along with people around you, and you're always blaming the people around you, I got news for you, Sparky. <laughs> it's not the people around you. But your reflection of those people and how you relate to them is a reflection of your relationship with Jesus. You see what I'm saying? If, if, you, if you're tight with Jesus, like you, you know, you're, you're, you're there, it's going gonna, it's gonna to spill out into your relationships. And we must stand strong in the face of adversity, spiritual adversity, and persevere. And by doing so, we will be given fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, man, Lord, you know, this book of Revelation, it, it, it's not meant to be scary, church. It's not meant to make us afraid. It's not meant to make, you know, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God. Don't hide from Jesus. 
Don't hide from Jesus. This is a book of hope, and that's what we're going to see. Jesus loves us. He cares for us. Listen, he holds the pastors in his hand as he walks among the churches, and he does an inspection. And his inspections are going to be met with praise. They're going to be met with correction. They're going to be met with how to get things corrected. And then, as you can see, they're going to be followed up with, listen, if you do this, look at the blessings you will reap if you do this. Jesus says, I have. I have the best for you. We have no idea, church, what is waiting for us in heaven. We don't want to miss out on that. I would much rather deal with what Jesus wants to get corrected in me now than find out I ignored it later. So God, as we head into a moment, a time of worship here in a few minutes, I want to ask right now, I want to ask you, church, I want to encourage you to be honest and open and transparent with your Savior. If you feel like or you've sensed something at all in this message, talk to God about it. I'm telling you, he's not condemning you. He wants you to know, listen, I see this, and hey, guess what? Can we do this together so we can get this turned around? I want you to be at your best so that you can influence me. You can influence others for me. And by doing so, look what, look what you're going to get. Fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God.